Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. Glad that you're with me. And that we are going to spend some time, and we're really going to talk today about you. And we ended yesterday really addressing how we handle how difficult this world is and the changes that always are coming at us and how to handle those changes well. And how to really maybe be a little bit more present for ourselves. And we're going to kind of talk about the me, myself, and I. You know, there's triunes all over the universe. We have the God, you know, God, Son, Holy Spirit triune. And within us, we have a me, myself, and an I. And how do I feel about myself? How do I treat me? What am I going to do with me? How do I talk to me? So we have this, this triune that happens with inside of us. And how do we handle that well? Imagine if the Trinity didn't get along. If, if God and Jesus were in a fight, how would the Holy Spirit feel, right? If, if God spoke harshly to Jesus, what if the Holy Spirit ignored the other two? And this is what you want to think about. Within you, you have to deal with you. I have to deal with me. I have to address myself. I have to take care of myself. And so I came across this beautiful, just this really beautiful devotion. And it actually was for today. And so I thought that was pretty apropos. And this is from Streams in the Desert. And this is really, I mean, this has probably been around over 100 years. It's over 100 years old. And it is one of the most poignant devotions, the devotional books that I have ever read. And this one starts with, the second chapter of Timothy, and it's um, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. It says, The servant of the Lord must be gentle. The servant of the Lord must be gentle. It goes on to say, When God finally conquers us, changes our unyielding nature, we receive deep insights into the Spirit of Jesus. Then as never before, we see his extraordinary gentleness of spirit at work in this dark and unheavenly world. Yet the gifts of the fruit of the spirit, that's Galatians chapter 5.22, do not automatically become evident in our lives. If we're not discerning enough to recognize their availability to us, to desire them, and then to nourish them in our thoughts, they will never truly become embedded in our nature or our behavior. Every further step of spiritual growth in God's grace must be preceded by acknowledging our lack of a godly attribute and then exhibiting a prayerful determination to obtain it. And I believe that there are some people that are a little more gentle by nature. It's not as difficult for them maybe as it is for others. However, 
Very few Christians are willing to endure the suffering through which complete gentleness is obtained. See, we must die to ourselves before we are turned into gentleness. And our crucifixion involves suffering. It will mean experiencing genuine brokenness and a crushing of self, which will be used to afflict the heart and conquer the mind. And this part, the devotion also really spoke about how many people are attempting to use their mental capacity and logical thinking to obtain sanctification, yet nothing occurs but a religious fabrication. And they believe that if they just mentally put themselves on the altar and believe the altar provides that gift, then they logically conclude they're fully sanctified. And our culture really supports that. We talk so much about how we think, and trust me, I I do that every day. What we think and the power of the mind is tremendous. But what God is saying is that the heartstrings of our old nature haven't been broken. The unyielding character, which we inherited from Adam, has to be ground to powder. I mean, that, that's pretty strong. has to be ground to powder. The soul is not throbbed with the lonely, gushing groans of Gethsemane. We will never feel what Jesus felt. And I love this idea of gentleness and where gentleness comes from. It comes from suffering. And many times we want to just get out of our suffering. And I'm, I'm all for, for taking away suffering that's unnecessary and not suffering just for the sake of suffering. But there is a beauty in suffering, and I know that I have seen it in my own life, what brokenness can do and the strength that comes from that the appreciation of the kindness of the Lord and the kindness of, of God toward his, toward his universe. So I found this verse. It's Romans um, chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, and it goes along with this whole idea that says the servant of the Lord must be gentle. And it says in this verse, it says not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, character, and character, hope. I loved that. You would think that suffering would take away our hope. But what God is actually saying to us is if we endure the suffering, that crucifixion process of our character, of who we are, to the inmost parts of our being, It produces hope. We have more hope. And I can attest to that. I've gone through some very difficult times in my life. And as I worked through that, as I learned really to manage that inner world that I live within, and having peace with myself, gentleness toward myself, and I'm telling you the truth, I don't do this every day. I'm not perfect at this. But I really do know the benefit, and that sufferings, when I've done them well, when I have let whatever it is the suffering is bringing, or whatever I have done to bring upon suffering, if I will let it do its work, I've always come out of it 
with hope. So talking about this me, myself, and I, do I get along with myself? Am I at peace with myself? How do I treat me? What do I think about me? How do I talk to myself? And in, in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 35, this is the Message Bible. It says, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously. Even when we're at our worst, our Father is kind. Be gentle. And I've used this verse very frequently, and I use it on myself because I can be pretty critical of myself. And I can struggle with myself. Some of that was maybe the way that I was raised. Some of that's the society that we live in. Some of that's just the way I'm made. I'm a pretty driven person. Uh, I, I'm a high achiever. I love challenges. I can drive myself pretty hard. And I've had to really work on this. God has really, really clamped down on me sometimes. And he has said to me, almost with a pointed finger, you be kind. You be kind to you. Because you have to remember that God entrusted us to ourselves. We're entrusted initially to human parents. And God knows who he gives children to. There's no perfect parents. So he knows what's going on when he gives the parents to us that we have. Whether you had great parents, whether you had terrible family issues. The nice thing is we grow up and then we become our own parent. And we deal with ourself. And we are the ones that decide what we're allowed to do. So we need to be kinder and gentler. Now, this does not mean that we give ourselves a free-for-all. Because if you're really kind to someone and really gentle with them, would you want them to destroy themselves? No, you would have boundaries. You'd have appropriate expectations. But it's all about the delivery. That's what I want you to think about. What's the inner world of your soul like? Because the kinder, gentler relationships that you probably desire will start with you. And who I am inside has a way of exposing itself outside. So when you're with me for any length of time, you will begin to see the real me. If I'm managing me well, if I'm taking good care of myself, when it comes to my own internal world, you will probably continue to like me. You may have a lot of grace for me as well. But if I have a really ugly internal world, if I'm really critical, angry, hateful, judgmental inside of me, you will eventually experience that part of me oftentimes sooner than later. 
So what we want to think about is focusing first on our inner world and how it affects our outer world. Because this is one of the ways that we have the most amount of effect and the most amount of control is what is in me has a tendency to come out of me. Sometimes I'm thankful. Sometimes I do it purposefully. Sometimes it just slips out. Sometimes it comes out sideways, right? So what we know for sure is that relationships, right, are unavoidable. So many times we try to really resist relating with ourselves. We don't want anything to do with ourselves. We want to focus on everybody else. And we're hoping that if we get the right people in our life, they're going to love us well, accept us, like us, honor us, treat us well, and then we'll feel better. Well, I think some of that can be true. The problem is it doesn't last. It's kind of like consuming food. We have to keep eating, right? So we can't just have one meal and then we're good to go for the rest of our life. So if, you, if the internal world in you is not very healthy and doesn't have very much sustenance or substance, you don't have the ability for any self-fulfilling bits of emotionality, help, gentleness, kindness, mercy, and grace, then you're going to be always externalizing. You're going to be looking outside of yourself for all of your emotional meals. So think about that. The only way I get my emotional, psychological needs met is from the people outside of me or media that I'm always going to be wanting. Now, think about how we, we deal with little children. They cannot feed themselves initially. We have to feed them. We have to provide for them. But we want them to grow up and be able to feed themselves, which means they get a job, they're able to buy their own food. Hopefully they make good choices when they eat. Well, that's kind of what God is saying to us. He is an inexhaustible resource, which I'm very thankful for. But he is not in human form. And even when he was in human form, he cannot do your relationship with you. You have to do that on your own. He can help you. He can support you. He can encourage you. But you have to deal with you. One of the biggest ways to take care of you is to deal with you. Take ownership of you. Belong to yourself. Manage yourself. Be on top of yourself. Be the best parent to yourself that you could ever have even desired or even imagined. That's the number one self-care issue. And if you read anything about self-care, they have a tendency to just give you a lot of lists of things. And I am going to give you some lists. But what I want to tell you is that those lists and doing all those behaviors will have no what we call satiety. They won't satiate your appetite. You'll always need more. So the behaviors will help the same way that you consume food. But if your body doesn't assimilate it and store it up, it's, not, not, it, it's no good for you. So you want to think about this idea of if I have a good relationship with myself, applying all those self-care issues that you read about, all the ways to take care of yourself and good self-care and 
psychological self-care, emotional self-care, spiritual self-care, physical self-care, social self-care. All of those ways to do that will be better able to be implemented into you. You'll take more advantage of them. They'll stick around longer. They'll compound, so they'll actually duplicate and replicate and triplicate themselves so that you have more of those behaviors and they come more naturally to you. If you're just constantly looking to the outside and trying to change how you feel by doing and you don't actually assimilate why you're doing it, that's what's so important. Why do we feed children? Why do we take care of them? Why do we take care of our pets? Why do we take care of our cars, our houses, manage our bank accounts? Why? Because they're of value to us. If you are not valuable to you, no amount of self-help will work. It won't stay. If you are not valuable to you, you will continue to treat, you will continue to teach people to treat you in a way that is devaluing. You establish for the world who you are, how you want to be perceived, how you want to be treated. That doesn't mean the world always obeys. But you have to first start with making sure the world around you knows that you are a person of value. And this is not about conceit, self-aggrandizing, being an egomaniac. This is simply a God-honoring behavior and thought process. See, God values you. He laid his life down for you. How much more can he show your value than dying for you and telling you that he wants to spend forever with you? He doesn't ever want to be away from you. I mean, can you say that about someone? That's an amazing statement that God so loves you he doesn't want to miss one moment of forever. He wants to be with you forever. He doesn't ever want it to end. What an amazing thought, an amazing feeling if we will let ourselves have it. That the God of the universe, who is all purity, all justice, all perfection, the 100% most intelligent creature being ever, wants to be with us forever. That's the value he wants you to really take in, to really walk out, to nurture, to honor. So when you require that you treat yourself well, and you require that of others, you are honoring God. Think of this analogy. Think of how valuable your children are, and if you have to drop them off at daycare. Or if you have a nanny, what if you have a babysitter? How would you feel if they mistreated them? What happens if you leave on vacation and someone's watching your pet and you find out they ignored your pet for an entire week? You're trusting these people to care for something that is so valuable you would die for. I know people that would, if their pet fell off a cliff, they would climb down to the very bottom of that cliff and get that pet out. They're valuable. I know people that would lose their life for a child. If their child needed an organ, they would give it. 
So think about how God feels when you devalue you, when you refuse to care for you, when you let others walk on you, take advantage of you, mistreat you, talk down to you. Now, please hear me. This doesn't mean that, that I'm telling you to be aggressive and emotionally violent over these things, unless your life is at stake. But this means that if I'm getting treated by people in that manner, hmm, I might need to first look at how I treat myself. Am I giving them permission to do that subtly, unconsciously, without realizing I'm giving people permission to treat me this way? And it can be so subtle. Because it can be in the things that we don't do or we don't say that give them permission. The areas that we won't set a boundary, we won't confront, that gives them permission to treat us poorly. So when you're thinking of really good self-care, you want to think about how you think toward yourself. How do I think about me? How do I talk to me? And we're going to talk next week about negative thoughts and that inner critic that we all have and a critical negative voice that we have and how to kind of silence that. But we have to start with this foundation because all those things that you'll hear next week will not be nearly as effective if you don't make peace with you. We want peace to the inmost parts of our being. Truth to the inmost parts of our being. Justice, kindness, mercy. All those exercises that I'm going to give you will work temporarily and you will eventually get frustrated with them because they won't stick if you don't do this foundational piece. And that is me caring about me. What is your internal home like? Inside of you, if I were to visit your internal home, how might I feel? What might I hear? What would be the tone in your heart, in your gut? Is it critical? Dismissive? Angry? Even emotionally violent toward yourself? Is there yelling at you? Screaming at you? Swearing at you? Hating you? Ongoing criticism? What's it like inside of you? What would it be like if I visited? What would it be like? And think about the fact that God lives inside of you. How does he feel about your internal home? Is he enjoying your home? Is he enjoying living there? These are really important things to think about. See, the, if the enemy can get you to abuse yourself, then he can just sit back because you're doing his job for him. And he just watches the wreckage and damage. It's like an, it's like an auto deduction in your bank account. He just set it up and you continue to deduct from yourself. So ask yourself, how would Jesus talk to you? How would you talk to someone else? And it's amazing how we allow ourselves to think toward ourselves and talk to ourselves in ways we never would do to any other person. So thank you for joining me today. Make sure you listen tomorrow, and I'm going to give you a really easy, cute list. It's what dogs can teach us about good self-care. So enjoy the rest of your day. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You are so valued and so loved.
Have a great day. Thanks, Jeremy. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.